together. And so uh, over the last couple of weeks, three weeks to be exact, we've been looking and been, been doing a study in the book of Colossians. And uh, how many of you have been enjoying reading through the book of Colossians? How many of you, the Lord's been speaking to you and stirring some things up? I believe that when we apply the word of God, and especially when we slow down a little bit and focus and, and read uh, like we have been, I've been encouraging you each week to read the chapter that coincides with the message that I've been preaching. And so week one, we did Colossians one and, uh, and then we read through the book and then I, I would even encourage you, uh, to read it in a different translation, maybe one day, just to get a little bit different view. And somebody this week told me, they're like, man, Colossians three in the message, uh, paraphrase is really, it's like, it's really good. It's really different. And so I had to go read to see what, why it was so much different and it was different and it was really good. It brought out some different things. And so this is my encouragement to you though, when it comes to what Bible you should read, it's a deep read one that you understand. Okay. I mean, I think that's important. Like I have a certain, like the Bible that I read out of every day. And the one that I primarily preach out of is the new living translation. And I like it cause I just like it. It's a little more direct, a little more to the point, which I appreciate. So that's the one I read out of, but there's lots of, and you know, and you're like, well, which Bible's the right one, whichever one you're reading. Okay, I mean, let's be honest. Uh, most people that argue about translations of the Bible may not even be reading their Bibles. And, uh, you know, and so I just think that you just need to read the Bible. And I think the Holy Spirit can help you sort it out. And if you have questions, that's where you need to be in relationship with people. You know, a lot of times I'll read... Um, different scriptures in multiple translations because I want to get a full understanding of what the Bible is speaking about. And then I'll even do some studies and dig a little deeper and those types of things. And so I think it's good that we um, take some time to really focus on certain parts of and certain passages of scripture. And so over the last three weeks, we've been looking at the book of Colossians. And so I'm gonna give you a brief recap uh, of the first three weeks. And then we're going to get into chapter four. But really the overall concept, the overall big idea from the book of Colossians is that Jesus is everything. Jesus is above everything. He is supreme. He is Savior. He is Lord. And of course, over the last couple of weeks, I've been sharing with you about uh, this letter that it was written to a group of believers. And so you can say it this way is that this book that Paul is writing and the Apostle Paul was writing to a group of believers that he had never met. So you could say it like this is that this is Paul writing to Life United. He's writing to you. He's writing to me. He's writing to us as a church, giving us some instructions. And part of the reason that he was writing this book and part of the reason why the major theme of the book is that Jesus is above everything is because he was talking to a people who lived in a culture with very mixed, with a very mixed bag of spirituality. In other words, they had a little bit of Jesus and, and they really would say that Jesus was a great starting point. But we need to add some stuff to it. But yet Paul is saying you don't need to add anything to Jesus. Jesus is a great starting point, but he's also the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and he is the end. He is at the beginning of, of Genesis and he's at the end of Revelation. Right? And, and so that's what Paul is kind of making a case because they had mixed in all of these things. And we live in a very similar culture today. People love Jesus. There's just certain things about him that they say, well, yeah, but I don't know about that. You know, we talked about how even there's some phrases and sayings that we hear in our culture, you know, that, that we, if we're not careful, we will buy into. And yet they can greatly affect our really our relationship and our connection with God. So, you know, we talked about things like, hey, this is my truth or I know the Bible says, but 
right? Well, no, we got to stick to the truth of God's word. Why? Because it's the truth that sets us free. This is what the Bible says. And so it's so important that we have a basis that what? That keeps us grounded in a world that is upside down. Like, how do we know things are upside down if you don't have a basis point to say, here's, here's truth, Here, here's the baseline. And so it's important that we understand these things and so that Christ is really is in everything. He is before everything and that we're to actually bring him into every part of our life. Is that we're not, a ha- not to have like a church life and a work life and a family life. Like there, no, there ought to be this consistency that we invite Jesus into every part of our life, including our past, our pains, our, you know, all of those, our frustrations. Is that we're to invite him into everything. And so this is really the theme, if you will. Of Colossians. And so in chapter one, we looked at the importance of having where Paul wrote and talked about the importance of having a personal relationship, but even beyond that, really a personal encounter with Jesus. You know, and why would Paul say that this was so important? Well, go read his story. In the beginning, he was Saul until one day he met Jesus on a horse and Jesus knocked him off of his horse. You could say it this way is that Jesus knocked him off of his high horse because he kind of did. And he had this moment with Jesus. He had this encounter. And and so just us getting, you know, praying a prayer and getting saved. Although, yes, that is how we get saved. The Bible's very clear is that we believe in our hearts. We confess with our mouth that we can be saved. But Paul says that's not enough. In other words, it's not enough to have it here. You've got to have something happen on the inside of you. There has to be this encounter with God that really shifts you. That's a a, a defining marker in your life that says, hey, that my life before this moment was one way. And then I met Jesus and things begin to shift. Doesn't mean that I'm perfect. Doesn't mean that everything just worked. But there ought but there needs to be this moment and this encounter with God for every single one of us. Why? Because your circumstances will try to convince you of something else. They'll try to convince you that, well, the Bible's not real, that Jesus isn't real. But, and, and, you know, and we can't live by experience, but we need an experience. If we live by our experiences, what we're really doing is living based off of our feelings and off of our, just what we've experienced. And that's why we need the word of God. Why? There's this balance, there's this tension between my experience with God and God's word. And this is what I can tell you, is that there is harmony in those things. Because if we're not careful, we can actually have spiritual experiences that are not even biblical. And we'll call it God, not realizing that we've allowed the enemy into and really given access to the enemy. I mean, we have things like the occult. We have things, you know, I mean, I remember as a kid, my sister, one time she was playing with a Ouija board. Well, how many of you know that the Bible talks about those things? And we're inviting the work of the enemy into our life. We're giving him not just an open door. We've kind of blown the back door wide open and say, hey, come on in. That's an invitation, right? And so that's one area, but there's lots of ways and lots of things that if we just live based solely on our experiences, that we can get in a, we can really get ourselves um, in a bad spot because we don't have the word to bring us back to a foundational place. You know, the Bible actually talks about and it says that the enemy, the devil, will disguise himself as an, as an angel of light. In other words, he's a, sheep's, he's a wolf in sheep's clothing. In other words, he's going to come and it looks good, but it's not good. And if we're not careful, we can actually get off base and we can actually begin to drift away from our faith. And that's part of what Paul was telling them. It's, hey, stick to what you know, but you've got to have this experience. 
Like it's important. If I can convince you to follow Jesus mentally, somebody can convince you to not follow him mentally. But when you come back to a moment and say, no, I know in this moment I experienced the power and the presence of God and something happened on the inside of me. It's a defining moment. So chapter one, we talked about that in chapter two. It was really, uh, Paul was, it's really verse uh, six and seven out of Colossians two. And he, he gives the instruction that says, hey, continue to follow Christ. Like it's more than just a one-time moment is that this is a relationship that is had over time. And so just because you start with Jesus doesn't mean that you're automatically going to finish with Jesus. He says, continue to follow. Don't stop. Keep pressing. Keep developing. Keep growing in your understanding of the word of God. Keep uh, growing in your relationship with God. Learn how to hear his voice. Cooperate with him. He says continue following him. It's not just that one time. All right, I'm going to heaven. I prayed my prayer. Like, no, it's a life that is to be lived. And then in chapter three, which was last week, we talked about making sure that we pick out the right outfit to wear. How many of you remember what I'm talking about? You got to remember, you got you to put on the right clothes because why? The Bible says that we have two natures that are at war and we got to put one to death. And it says that there's an old sinful nature that wants to wage war on our soul. But we've also been given a new nature in Christ. And if you remember last week, I had a couple jackets and I had one that I started with. And sometimes what happens is that we want to try to be a Christian without dealing with some of our past. And you can do that. You're just going to struggle. But if you can learn how to, and you do this by renewing your mind, thinking differently. It's Romans 12, 1 and 2. It says you've got to transform, you've got to replace an old way of, of living and thinking with a new way of living and thinking. And that's called our new nature, which is in Christ. That's why 2 Corinthians five seventeen says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. That is something that has never before existed in that moment. And so when we get saved, something happens. Well, what is that something? The Bible says we are reborn. We are born again. Our spirit comes alive. And that's why I say you need to have an experience with God, not just a prayer to God. Like you need to know, like something happened. I I can't explain it. I can't describe it. But something happened on the inside of me. And in something in that something would be is that God came alive on the inside of you. And we need that. And so... You know, we talked about this and, and so we, Paul even said, hey, you've got to deal with those things that are kind of lurking in your soul. You're like, yeah, I thought I was saved and redeemed from those things. You are. But let me remind you is that salvation is a three-part process. Just like you're a three-part being. Your spirit, if you're saved in here today, is as saved as it's ever going to get. Your spirit, man, cannot be more renewed than it is right now. But you do have a soul which comprises your mind, your will, your emotions, your thoughts. That thing needs to be continually renewed. Let me say it this way. All your issues reside there. And we've got to allow the Lord to work in our soul so that we can experience more of his life. So we have been saved. We are being saved in our soul and our bodies one day when Jesus returns will be saved. The Bible says this mortal will put on immortality. So this side of Jesus returning, my flesh is always going to be my flesh. Now I can learn to subdue my flesh and I can learn how to take authority over my flesh. 
I mean, we talked about this a little bit last week, even about our words. You know, you don't have to say everything that floats through your brain. Some of us are more challenged in this area of our life. But what? We have to learn to what? Like Paul, like, like they talk, we have to learn to tame the tongue is the way James says it. Tame that joker. Well, how do you do it? Repetition. And just because I think it, number one, just because I think something doesn't make it true. Just because this, this thought just floats by. I've heard it said that just because a bird flies over your head doesn't mean that you have to allow it to make a nest. And many times the enemy will work, what, in our thought life. And so, you know, these thoughts, we need to have, we need to, and I'm going to, we'll talk about this here in a few minutes. Towards the end about how do we do this. But we need to learn to filter our thoughts. Hey, where did this thought come from? Does this line up with God's word? Is, is this spurring me in my faith or is this discouraging me? Like maybe I need to really figure these things out. And so, uh, and so Paul uses the language multiple times in chapter 3 and says, you have to clothe yourself. In other words, pick out your outfit. And last week, I, I challenged you with this thought, which is, you can, if you can predetermine your outfit, you can predetermine your attitudes. Right? Y'all remember that? So just like you picked out an outfit today, you can pick out your attitudes before you go to work tomorrow. And just say, today, I choose to walk in love. Today, I refuse to be moved off of my peace. And trust me, somebody's going to come and try to take your peace. And you're going to have to be reminded, I made a decision this morning. I would not let anybody take my peace and I would walk in love with people today. And so, Father, I thank you. I'm ready to snap, but I thank you that your love's on the inside of me. I'm ready to throw off this new coat and pick up that old coat. (laughs) Right? But we've got to remember, no, I've taken off that old clothes. I've put on a new one. And because I've put on a new one, there's also a grace that comes with that. That says that I am able to overcome all things. There's nothing before me that God on the inside of me is not greater. So I've got to make these decisions. You know, our emotions are a decision. As much as we want to say, no, they're not. Yes, they are. (laughs) Absolutely, they are. We choose. And the Holy Spirit will help us to choose the right attitudes. Sometimes he tells me, keep your mouth shut. Don't say that. Don't go there. Sometimes I, you know, like, just be real honest. Sometimes I get frustrated. I know I'm the only one, but I get real frustrated with with circumstances and situations sometimes and the holy spirit will remind me where i'm looking at it from so just for the sake of conversation i'll be frustrated with a person and i'm thinking of all the ways and what i want to tell them and then the holy spirit has to remind me to a shift over here and look at this person the way that god sees them And it changes my attitude and my thought. Like, I, I, let me give you just a, a natural example. I can, now I have small children. Not, well, my son's not so small anymore. He's seven, but uh, smaller kids. But I can get frustrated with my children. Right? And I can get aggravated with them. 
because of whatever's going on. Okay, but let's look at this just practically. Whose home do they live in? Mine. Whose attitudes do they learn? Whose responses do they follow? Why? Because they're in my house. So I can look at them in one of two ways. Either they're a problem or they're a responsibility. And that applies to many relationships. If you have employees, are they a problem or are they a responsibility? Is your boss your problem or your responsibility? See, just that little mental shift. That, that, that's just one example where the Holy Spirit could say, you're looking at this wrong. Because my kids are a responsibility that I am to steward. Not to control, but to steward. And I need the help of the Holy Spirit to, to help me to make those shifts. And so we've been talking, and, and I told you last week that chapter 3, if you just need to re- read one chapter, go read chapter 3. I could preach on chapter 3 for at least a month, easily. And there's a ton of content in there, and a lot, just some great truths in there. But today we're on chapter 4, so I have to move on. And, uh, but... We're actually just going to look at about four verses this morning. Most of chapter four is Paul giving shout outs to people. He's like, God bless eucalyptus because you smell great. And, you know, he gives all these. <laughs> if you go read the chapter, you'll understand because they got all these names that nobody can pronounce anyways. But he's giving all these shout outs to people. Thank this one. Bless this one. Hey, if y'all see them, encourage them. And he's just going like a giving shout outs all over the place. Love them. They're awesome. They're amazing. Can't wait to see you again. Pray that God will let me come see you. Take care of this one. Pray for that one. I mean, you know, that's most of the chapter. But um, there are a couple verses here that I want to focus on this morning. And um, so there's kind of two parts to this message, but they do coincide because he wrote them as one letter. And... Um, by the way, if you don't know this, this is just a good little general piece of Bible knowledge for you, is that we have chapters. The book of Colossians was one letter. And later on, like when they translated the Bible into what would be the King James Version today, they added the, the, the chapters and the verses so that I could tell you, go to Colossians 4. You could say it this way, go to page 4. Because this is a consistent letter. So this isn't random pieces. This is a consistent thought that Paul is writing. So anyhow, it's a random bit of information there for you. But here in verse 2 of Colossians 4, Paul is kind of concluding his his letter to these believers here. And he says, gives them kind of an instruction, says, Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and with a thankful heart. So he really says, hey, you got you need to pray. But he says you need to be praying, not just that you pray, but you need to be paying attention to how you pray. And he gives us two things here. He says you need to pray with an alert mind. In other words, don't go into cruise control when you start to pray. Don't just go into memory of like, Lord, I... Pray my soul to keep. Those types of things. Nursery rhymes. Like, you know, you go into like Psalms 23. You know, and you start just reciting these prayers. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with those things. But if we're just doing it out of memory, out of routine, we've removed the power from them. 
And sometimes, just like we've been doing here in, um, with the book of Colossians, is we need to slow down through those prayers. Right? I mean, take the Lord's Prayer. Sometimes we need to slow down and really process what we're saying. Lord, help me to forgive others because you've forgiven me. Like we could camp right there for a little bit. And that's just one, one little part of the Lord's Prayer. Lord, give me today everything that I need because you've given me to, today daily bread. I mean, we could sit there and go through every part of it. And sometimes we need to slow down through these prayers. Why? Because we're not really alert to what we're saying. Prayer is a conversation, not a to-do list. Now, many times we treat it like a to-do list. God hears number one. God hears number two. God hears number three. God hears number four. All right, see you tomorrow. Get back to me on your progress. Appreciate it. But maybe we need to, and, and I believe that's part of why Paul, even the end of this, he says you need to have an alert mind, but you also need to have a thankful heart. Like, well, what does that look like? Maybe we should be thanking God before we ask for anything. And how do we keep from um, become, becoming like spoiled little children? We need to be thankful. Thank God for what he has done because then it actually has multiple purposes. Number one, it keeps me in a place of gratitude, thanking God for what he has done. But it also reminds me what God has done, which builds my faith to now ask for the Lord to work on my behalf in a situation or a circumstance. And so here he says that we need to devote ourselves to prayer. This is how a divine define to devote. To make this part of your regular discipline. You know, reading your Bible, praying. These things are spiritual disciplines that can be, and they can become routine and they ought to be routine, but they ought not be so routine that we do it and it makes no difference in our day. And it doesn't have to mean that it takes hours on end. It might take 10 minutes. But we ought to take some time and, 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 and engage with the word of God the way that we have over these last few weeks. This ought to be normal for us to read through scripture and don't get bogged down on, well, what am I reading? How should I read? I mean, there's, there's lots of things. If you've never read the Bible, if you've never like consistently read it, start with the book of John. Like, well, why John? Because it's the book where, where the uh, apostle John really... Uh, he kind of walks through, he tells the story of Jesus on the earth, but he also talks a lot about the relationship and the connection between us and God. That it's a vital union. You know, we looked at this, I think it was in week two, John 15, where he talks to Jesus says that I am the vine and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can't do nothing. That's really good English, by the way. My mom is so proud right now. No, but we need to devote ourselves to prayer. Like, well, I don't know what to pray. Let me help you. There's an app that will help you know how to pray. It's called Pray First. You can download it. It's free. And it gives you all kinds of ways. You can pray through scripture. You can pray. There are all kinds of different prayers in there. And it will tell you how to pray. It has the Lord's Prayer in there. So if you don't know what to say, if you came and asked me, Say, hey, pastor, can you give me some resources on how to pray? I'm just going to give you paper versions of what's on that app. It's already there. It's already available to you. It's even got worship music built into the app. So you can play it while you read. Through. I mean, it's really cool. I would encourage you to utilize it because it's free. How many of you like free stuff? 
I was listening to this, uh, something this week from John Bevere. This is totally random, but uh, he was talking. They have a, an, a, an app that has tons of, of resources on it. If you don't know who John Bevere is, he's a minister. He's been around for a long time. But he said they've spent $12 million building their app. And they give it away for free. And so if you want to grow and develop and then and, and be discipled, somebody else has spent $12 million to help you. It's called Messenger X. It's got all kinds of resources for all kinds of stuff in it. It's a great resource. We live in the, the age of technology, which is amazing and sometimes challenging, but it's mostly amazing if we utilize it. So we need to have these disciplines in our life. And so I've said this and shared this with you many times is that prayer should be our first response, not our last resort. You ever been in one of those situations where it's like, well, I guess we got to pray. <laughs> That's, like, that's the last resort prayer. And look, God still honors last resort prayers. But how much frustration could we avoid if we just started with prayer? If we just asked for the wisdom of the Holy Spirit in this situation, in this circumstance, with this decision I've got to make, got all this pressure. What if I just, you know, I mean, the Bible says we have not because we ask not. And that's not just in prayer. Sometimes we don't have the wisdom that we need because we ain't asked for it. Holy Spirit, you have all wisdom and all understanding and you live on the inside of me. I need some help. Another little tidbit for you when it comes to prayer. Pray like you talk. If you don't sound like you. You might be confusing the Lord. How about that? You might, Who's praying right now? I don't know this person. Pray how you are. I mean, like I, like I just gave you an example. Like that would be my prayer. Holy Spirit, I don't have wisdom concerning this decision and I need some help. I don't have a clue what to do. I'm as lost as goose in a, in a snowstorm and I need some help. That's how I pray. Lord, I don't have this answer. You already, you knew this problem was coming before I even knew it was here. And I know you're already working on an answer for me. You've already got it coming. So I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you speak and my ears are going to hear you. My spirit is sensitive to you. And I'm going to pick up when you speak and I'm going to know exactly what to do. I thank you for it. Jesus name. That's how I pray. And then when I run out of words, I start praying in the spirit. It's a heavenly language that I can pray, connect with the Lord. You're like, well, what is that? That's where the Holy Spirit prays the divine, perfect will of God for me. Yeah. I mean, Paul says it this way. Look, I'm going to pray in the, in the natural and I'm going to pray in the spirit. He's like, look, I'm going to do them both. Why? Because the more I pray, the better things work. You know, and, and so it ought to be part of our regular life. And you say, well, why do we need to pray? It is a spiritual discipline. It reminds us who's in control. Control is an illusion. I can't control myself sometimes, much less everybody else. And yet we're going to try to control things. And prayer is remembering, God, you are in charge, not me. And so it's important to say, well, why well, pray Ephesians 5? And I'm not going to read all these verses at all. But I would encourage you, go read, I'm sorry, Ephesians, Ephesians 6, verse 10 through 18. It's the armor of God. And he talks about, well, why do we need to pray? Because there is a spirit world all around us that is active and it is working. And so um, 
I love here in verse 10, though, it says that I have saved these most important truths for last. He says, be supernaturally infused with strength through your life union with the Lord Jesus. That's a mouthful there. But he says, look, be supernaturally infused with strength through your life union with Christ. He says, and here's why he says we need that in verse 12. It says that we have evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. In other words, you have adversaries that you cannot see. How do you fight somebody that you cannot see? They're spiritual beings and they are real and you have to battle them with spiritual weapons. And it goes through here all the way from verse, really in verse 13 to 18. It goes through the spiritual armor of God. And it goes through and tells you all the pieces of the armor. It's based off of a Roman centurion's outfit. So the people of the day understood what he meant. But let me give you an example. of like If you really study this out, one of the cool things. It sounds nice. But it says, let your feet be shod or prepared with the preparation of peace. You're like, oh, that means I just need to be a nice person. Let me give you a little clearer picture. The Roman soldier had sandals, but they had two to three inch spikes underneath them like cleats. That kept them firm while they were fighting. And so the Bible is telling us, you better hold on to your peace because that's going to keep you stable. See, peace is not as defensive as we may think. It's actually offensive. It's not what I'm preaching on today, but that's good anyways. The last part of the armor, though, is he says that we need to what? Have the word of God because it is the sword of the spirit. And then he says, oh, yeah, and by the way, don't forget to pray. You can prepare yourself for battle, but you need to pray. Why? Because the battle is not yours. It is the Lord's. And so we need to have these things. So we do have an unseen world, and just because it's unseen doesn't mean it's not real. Just Let me say it another way. Just because we're not aware of it doesn't mean that... And look, let me just help you. People sometimes get weirded out. I know tomorrow's Halloween, and people are like, ooh, spooky. And we talk about, you know, unseen forces. There are more on our side than there are on their side. A third of the angels fell, not nine-tenths. Well, if a third fell, that means that there's still two-thirds that are on our side. And the Bible says that the angels of the Lord are what? The ministers, that their job, it talks about this in Hebrews, says that they are the ministers to the heirs of salvation. In other words, they have an assignment, and it's you. And it's me. Why? Because just like there may be an unseen enemy, there's also an unseen friend. So we have no reason to be intimidated or to be scared or to be afraid. Our God is for us. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 6. We're going to read through verse 8. He says, don't worry about anything. I was waiting for an amen, but you did. (laughs) Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Is anything not included in everything? He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. I say it almost every week. If it matters to you, it matters to God. Why? Because that's involved in everything. Pray about everything. 
See, I think there's a correlation. If I pray, I won't worry as much. If I don't pray, I will worry more. So when I pray, what am I doing? I'm casting the weight, the frustration, the pressures of the moment. I'm taking it and I'm saying, Jesus, you can have it. And Jesus says, I'll take it. Thank you for bringing it to me. Now, we all have a propensity to want to run back and be like, I'll take it back now. (laughs) Don't be an Indian giver. Give it to Jesus and leave it with him. Says, don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Says, tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. Once you have prayed, says, then you will experience God's peace. Sometimes I've had people ask me, how do I know when I'm done praying? Pray until you have peace. When you have peace, you're good. If you start losing your peace, come back and pray. And the more you do it, the better you get at it. And sometimes we need the Holy Spirit to help us. Be like, hey, don't, don't pick that up again. Didn't you pray this morning and give that to Jesus? Let him have it. Yes, sir. So tell God what you need. Thank him for all that he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that you can understand. How are you so calm? If I was experiencing what you're experiencing, I'd be freaking out. I don't know. I just prayed about it. I let Jesus have it. And people would be like, you're nuts. I'll take that as a compliment. Thank you. You can't understand it here, but there's, hey, God's working. God's got this thing. I don't have to have it. It goes on here and it says that your or that his peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. This echoes something that we talked about last week. Fix your thoughts. Focus your thoughts. Tame your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right. And pure and lovely and admirable. So, just as a little discipline, this is something you could do. If you're challenged with a thought, come to this verse. Is what I'm thinking about true? Not sure. Okay, let's go next. Is it honorable? Mm, Maybe not. Okay. Is it right? Right, you know, and that, that is different than true, but is it pure? Is like, is there a motive here that I need to pay attention to that maybe I'm skewing some information? Because my heart's not right towards this situation, towards this person, whatever. And you can go all the way through. I think he said all these words to get us to realize by the time I get to the end of the list, it helps me to what? Focus my thoughts. Because there's some thoughts that we want to harp on, and he's saying, no, you just need to chunk it. Like, you just need. Don't, don't meditate on that thought. Meditate on the word, but don't meditate on that thought because that thought was an arrow sent by the enemy, what? To wreak havoc in your life. So he says, fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. It says, and think about these things, or think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Now, it's not saying... To that somehow we're like pie in the sky or that I'm oblivious to what's going on around me. But what it's saying is I'm going to choose what shapes my reality. My belief. I'm going to choose what I focus on. 
And I'm not going to let my situations control me. Let me give you a couple of scriptures about this. Well, let me, let me, I'm going to jump out of order here, Bennett, so just so you know. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, verses 16 through 18. I didn't put these in my notes, so I'm going to be reading it off the screen. So First Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18. I didn't put it in there. Well, I don't have it in my notes. I have an app for that. I would quote it, but I would get it wrong. Let me close my 15 apps that my children have opened. Oh, that was the one I wanted. I just closed it. Hold on. It's a good little in between here. But if you're ever wondering, I use an app called Olive Tree that I study and write all my notes in. If you're interested. The Bible app's a great one too. Let's see here. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I promise. First Thessalonians 5. Just entertain yourself for a moment. What? I've got it right here. Thank you. All right. First Thessalonians chapter 5. Starting in verse 16. Here we go. It says, always be joyful. Praise God. Don't you love that one? That's a verse all by itself. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Which tells me, if I stop praying, I'm probably going to lose some joy. It helps keep me focused. In verse 18, it says, Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Be thankful in all circumstances. In everything, be thankful. Be joyful. You're like, well, that doesn't sound great. I don't really want to sign up for that. Here's what the Bible didn't say. It didn't say be thankful for everything. But it said you can be thankful in everything. Give you an example of this from the book of Psalms. David was in a low moment of his life. And he said this, he, he, he made this statement, which was really uh, going back into an Old Testament scripture. He says, I have been young and I have been old, but I have never seen the righteous forsaken. Why did Paul or why did David need to remind himself of that? <clears throat> because he felt like he had been abandoned. And he's reminding himself, look, I've lived a while and I've never seen God leave anybody he's always been there and and that gives me joy even when i don't feel him god i know that you're here just because i may not be aware of you doesn't mean that you've abandoned me see that's me what making a decision in my thoughts that i'm believing god's word and his promise to me over what my facts and my feelings tell me because my truth may not be right it might be skewed My circumstances will lie to me and the enemy will make sure that he lies to me about my circumstances. Well, they said this, but they meant this. Maybe they didn't. Maybe they actually didn't mean anything by it. But we take it in and we we process through it and we roll around with it for a while. And next thing you know, like they hate me. And they're out to hurt me and they're. But if we were just to go ask them, hey, you remember this comment? Like, what are you talking about? I don't even remember. I just said something offhanded. But we've built it up in our mind to be in the, like, World War III is about to happen. And they just flippantly made a statement, but we read into it. 
I know I'm the only one that does that, but but it's true. So why should we be praying? Here's why. James chapter 5, second part of verse 16, 17. I'm going to read this out of the Passion um, Translation. But it says, The tremendous power is released through the passionate, heartfelt prayer of a godly believer. Tremendous power is made available when you pray. I would encourage you to adopt a confession that I have used for years. Which is that when I pray, things happen. And you ought to say that all the time. Say it before you pray. When I pray, things are going to happen. When I pray, angels begin to move. When I pray, heaven begins to invade earth. When I begin to pray, it's not because of me. It's because of what God's word has said. And the Bible tells me that when I, as a believer, begin to pray that tremendous power is released. The Amplified Bible says it this way. The continual, heartfelt, fervent prayer of a righteous man, what? Produces power. It's not just a one time, well, I prayed one time. Well, that's a good starting point, but you need to keep praying. And you need to keep confessing. And you need to stick to God's word. Why? Because Paul to the Corinthians says, devote yourself to prayer. Not a one time, like, pray until something happens. There's a little, whatever you call those things. What do you call, yeah, push. What do you call those little words where you take the word and you... Acronym. I don't know why I never remember that. I never do though. I always want to call it something else. Push. Pray until something happens. Like, man, I'm tired of praying. Encourage yourself in the Lord and keep praying. You got to go get a new promise. You got to go find something else in the scriptures that will help you to what? To stir yourself up. Here in verse 17, so it says, tremendous power is made available when we As believers pray, well, why are our prayers powerful? Because you've been given all authority in heaven on earth from Jesus. He said, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. You remember when your parents gave you the keys to the car? You're like, oh, yeah, I'm grown. (laughs) Jesus has given you the keys. To the kingdom of God, which is the the, really the, the authority and the right of use. Like he didn't give us the keys to the car to put a bumper sticker on the back. Like, oh, I'm, I love Jesus. No, he gave us the keys to the car to drive the car. Not just take pictures outside of it. Oh, I'm at church today. No, he gave us the keys so that it affects our every day. Elijah, who was an Old Testament prophet, he speaks of here. And he says that Elijah was a man with human frailties. Let me say it this way. Elijah, the great man of God who called down fire from heaven, who defeated the prophets of Baal in this amazing display in 1 Kings 18. It's amazing. And it says here he's just as human as we are. He has the same feelings, the same faults, the same issues, the same hang-ups. He said he was... Just He was a man with human frailties, just like all of us. But he prayed, and I love how the Passion said this, and received supernatural answers. When you pray, things can happen. But you've got to believe what the Word of God says. Is that our prayers actually contain creative potential. 
It's a creative force. Think about this. God created the heavens and the earth with what? The work of his hands or the words of his mouth? Well, Genesis says that when God made the statement, let us make man in our image and in our likeness, what he was actually saying was, let's make them a creative speaking spirit. That's the literal translation of that verse. Just like God created the heavens and the earth with the words of his mouth, you can create with the words of your mouth. That's the good news. Here's the bad news. You can create your world with the words of your mouth. Wait, you just said the same thing. I know. Proverbs says that those who love to talk will eat the fruit of it, good or bad. That's why James said, hey, if I can control my tongue in James 3, I can control every other part of my being. If I can just get my words contained. If I'm going to contain my words, I got to learn to contain my thoughts, right? So going back to First Thessalonians chapter 5, it says to be thankful in everything, not for everything. Is that here's, here's the truth, is that gratitude reminds our soul that the battle is not ours alone. When I go to God and I'm like, God, I thank you that you've healed my body, that you've, you've, you've given me provision, you, you've done... And I, sometimes I'll just start thanking God. God, I thank you for the air that is in my lungs. I thank you for the breath that I have. I thank you for the health that I have. I thank you for the house that I have. I thank you for the car that I have. You're like, well, I don't even like my car. At least you got one. I mean, I have a friend of mine who had made some really poor choices in life. And was dealing with those. He was in prison, got out, started working, got a bike. Pedaled his bike. Now, this is in America. This isn't some foreign country. This is here. He had come out of prison, started with a bicycle. Started riding his bike to work every day. Every day, every day, every day. And God increased him and blessed him. And then he was able to get a new place to stay. He was able to buy a house. He was able to buy a car. And really, by the time that I got to meet him, he was a successful business person who owned his own business. And everything he had was paid for. But he was thankful for that. He actually still owned the bicycle. Because it was a reminder to him of where God started with him. So let me say this to you. You might need to go back and find your bicycle. Because if I lose sight of the bicycle, I'll lose sight of why I'm thankful. So where's your bike? So I don't have anything to be thankful for. Sure you do. The fact that you live in this country, of all of the 180-something countries or 90-something countries that you could have lived in, you're here. There's a reason that people want to be here. I've been all over the world. Some countries that I thought were just like ours. No, they're not. Do we have issues? Absolutely. Why? Because we're here. 
If you, I mean, I, I, honestly, though, you have the ability to sit here in church right now and allow somebody. We're allowed to worship together. Nobody was concerned when you walked in church today. Am I going to get arrested today? Is somebody going to come in here and persecute me for my faith today? You possess a Bible. Yeah. Like not just a page. Some people are so thankful just to get a page of the Bible. Come on. And we have Bibles. And we don't even touch them. I mean, think about that. You got a job. You ought to be thankful for it. You could be unemployed. Oh, but pastor, there's inflation. I get it. And there's pressure, absolutely. My marriage is terrible. Start there. But realize that you're a part of the problem. If it's terrible, you're part of it too. It's not just one-sided. Change what you say. Change the way you focus. Change some of these things. Why? And, and, and start being thankful. You know, we, I think I've mentioned this, but I don't know, probably two or three months ago, I implemented something um, within our leadership. And we started doing it as part of several parts of the church now. Where we just started saying the good things we see in one another. So every week, on Tuesdays, we have a, a leadership luncheon. And so I, I just every week I pick somebody. Like, hey, this week we're going to talk to so-and-so. And we go around the group. About 15 of us or so, 12, 15 of us, whoever is there that week. And everybody has to say something they appreciate about that person. You know how awkward that feels? And I don't mean the one receiving I mean the one saying it. Because it's a sign of how little gratitude we show in our culture. But here's, and this is really why, why I believe the Lord kind of put it in my heart to do this. It's because when we start looking for the good things, we find them. And we stop seeing all the negative things. At least as much. It's easy to find the negative. Start looking for some of the good. And when you find the good, you're going to find more good. And you're going to find more good. And you're going to find more good. And it affects your gratitude. See, we have to remind ourselves that God is faithful. Not only that, the Bible says that he's been faithful for generations. I mean, the Bible gives us, you know, 7,000 years of recorded human history. Go find anywhere in the scripture where God let somebody down. I've yet to find one. I've seen where people have done dumb stuff. And the Lord says, if that's what you want, you're a free agent. You can do whatever you want. But God comes through. So we need to remind ourselves of, of, of God's faithfulness. Now I'm going to shift gears just for a moment here. But this is still in line with prayer. And this is a little awkward for me. I'm going to be honest with you. Because he says this, and the thing that as I've been praying and even reading through this and considering this, is that Paul makes a statement and says, and pray for us too. That God will give us many opportunities to speak about the, his mysterious plan concerning Christ. He says, that is why I'm here in chains. He says, pray that I would proclaim the message as clearly as I should. Now let me give a little disclaimer. I know this is going to sound self-serving. But if it was true for Paul, it's also true today. I ask you to pray for me. To pray for my wife. To pray for those in leadership in the church. Why? Because it's actually not self-serving. It's actually for your benefit. And I know that we have many people who pray for us. 
And I know many times I can make jokes and say, hey, you know, please pray for me because I need it. And there is truth in that. But when you pray, something even happens, spiritually speaking. Like a couple weeks ago, I actually asked you for the permission to speak to you as your pastor. If you pray for me, I'll become your pastor. Because there's a heart connection that happens. And because it's actually, it is good for me, and I, and I do. I mean, and I'll give you some specific things that you can pray. Because you're like, well, how do I, okay, well, what do I pray? I mean, the more I've thought about this, the more I realize how often Paul said, hey, by the way, pray for me too. He did it all the time. I'm like, well, shoot, if Paul could ask people to pray for him, maybe, I should, maybe I'm stupid. Maybe I should be, be like Paul, you know? Right? Because, well, like, let me just take the pressure off for a moment. Why do I need prayer? Because I'm in over my head. And any pastor is. That's the way the Lord wants it. So there has to be this dependency on the Lord. See, what I'm teaching you is what I live every day. I mean, none of you are forced to be in this room today. You're here by your own voluntary decision. I have lots of friends in business and they try to equate ministry and business. I'm like, they're totally different. Totally different. Like, oh, I, I could do what you do and I laugh. I laugh. I'm like, not the way you do it. And I don't say that as a slight of people. It's just very different. Like, I'll just give you a little glimpse into my world. Just a little. When I stand here, I represent the Lord. And everything that I say represent the Lord. And if that doesn't make me nervous, I have no business standing here. Because that means I don't give reverence to the Word of God, to the presence of God, or to this platform. And you take that another step, is the things that I say, people make decisions, life-changing decisions off of. I need to know what I'm saying is not my words. They are the Lord's words. Now, that's, I'm not saying that as a pity thing. That's, there's a grace on my life to stand in the place that God has called me to. But if you pray for me, like, well, how do you know what to preach? I go ask the Lord. Like Colossians was not my idea. I pray. I seek the Lord. I feel like this is the direction I need to go. So if you'll pray for me, I'll preach what you need to hear. (laughs) What a concept. (laughs) You mean it really works like that? You pray to the Lord and the Lord will talk to me. It's amazing. (laughs) So here's some things that you can pray. Pray that we have the wisdom to lead in the way that God has for us to go as a body. So pray for wisdom. Pray for strength and clarity. These are specific things. Pray for boldness to stand firm on God's word. I'll repeat these in a moment. So boldness to stand firm on God's word as our authority in the face of opposition. And pray for protection against attacks of the enemy. 
And this isn't just for me and Dara. This is everybody in leadership, which is a group of people. It's not just a select couple. We believe in the power of a team. We believe in the power of input from multiple people. So you can pray for wisdom to lead, for strength and clarity, for boldness to stand firm. When I say that, I mean to not move away from God's word. And to pray for protection against the attacks of the enemy. You say, well, why does that matter? Because if the enemy gets to me, it affects you. And that's not to say that I'm perfect. I'm, I'm far from perfect. I'm keenly aware of my imperfection. But that's why you ought to pray for those in leadership. Because it's good for you. And I know that sounds self-serving. It's probably one of the hardest things that I would have to stand here and say because it sounds very self-serving to me. But it's still true. It's still the Word of God. So, know this. That your prayers make a difference. Never believe that your prayers don't amount to anything. They can move heaven and they will change earth. They really will when you pray. And so as Paul is wrapping up this letter, he kind of shifts gears here. And I'm just going to read this to you real quick. We got two verses as I'm closing up today. Colossians chapter 4 verse 5 and 6. He gives us a reminder here. Because he's talked about all these things, right? Through chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. He's kind of gone through the gamut. Hey, you need to have an encounter with God. You need to stay faithful to Jesus. You got to deal with, uh, let me say it this way. You got to allow the Holy Spirit to deal with you in the issues of, of, of your old nature. He goes through all of these things. He says, hey, you need to pray. And he goes, oh, and by the way, here's why all of this matters. Everything that we've talked about up to this point, here's why it matters. He says in verse 5, it says, walk in the wisdom of God. Learn to listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit. But he says, walk in the wisdom of God as you live before the unbelievers. It says, make it your duty, make it your personal responsibility to make Jesus known. So in other words, what he's saying is, hey, you need wisdom because people are watching. Like, well, I don't like that. I'm sorry. But people are watching us. People are watching you. That's why he talked about in chapter 3, like, hey, you got to deal with your stuff. Because people are watching. And it's hard to make a great Jesus known when we live far inferior lives. So he says, walk in the wisdom of God as you live before or around unbelievers and make it your duty, own it, to make Jesus known. To share your faith with people. And he says, well, how do you do this? Let every word you speak be drenched with grace and tempered with truth and with clarity. For then you'll be prepared to give a respectful answer to anyone who asks you about your faith. So why does the book of Colossians matter? And why does all these instructions? Because people are watching. Because eternity is in the balance. People can't see Jesus, but they know you. And you may be the closest thing to Jesus that some people ever encounter. And here's the good news. They just need to see you for who Jesus and what Jesus is doing in you. They don't need perfection. 
Perfection's unattainable. We all know that. But they're like, man, if God will save you, he'll save me. That happened with one of my best friends. He told me that. He's like, man, if God can save you, he can save anybody. I was a little insulted. I told him I wasn't that bad and he laughed. I was insulted again. That's a true story. But the fact that God had changed me said there's hope for him. What it said was, if God can change you, there's hope for me. If God would love you, God will love me. It established a hope. And when when people see us in spite of us, but they can still see the goodness of God. And they're like, man, if God will be good to you, maybe he'd be good to me. If God will love you, maybe he'd love me. And so that's why all this matters. He said, man, people are watching. I mean, that's a sobering thought, but we all know it. And again, if we blow it, just own it. Hey, I'm sorry. I know that that I'm a Christian. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. I just need to apologize. The Lord's still working on me. And they're going to be like, that's weird. They're going to say it's weird here, but something here. There's a seed that just got sown. And I believe that that seed being sown will be watered. And God will send people across their path. And before you know, I think I think the most, I think we will be blown away when we get to heaven. And God shows us the actual impact of our life. Because I think we're going to impact people that we never knew, never thought of. And God's going to say, oh yeah, they're here because of you. And you're like, I just had one conversation. And he's like, yeah, but you were one of the ones who sowed the seed. You're one of the ones who watered it. You didn't see the harvest, but you were part of the story. You just didn't know it. See, this is why this matters. And, And so Paul is telling us, pay attention how you live. Because you're a testimony. You're a walking, living, breathing testimony. In one place, Paul says it this way. He said, you're a living epistle that God is writing upon the hearts of, of men. Just like this, the book of Colossians is considered one of the epistles. And Paul says, hey, if you're living, you're like a, a story that God is writing. It's your personal story, but God is still writing that story. So God's not finished with you. Got to keep moving forward, keep making progress, keep developing your faith, keep on praying, keep on worshiping God. Why? Because you're moving closer and closer to Him. So that why? So that I can have a great impact in the world around me. So that you can impact the world around you, your neighbors and your coworkers and your family. And people are looking for something genuine. And we're just the people to give it to them. We really are. And so today I want to pray over you. I want to, I want to pray a prayer of blessing over you today as we've been in this series. And I would encourage you to read through, finish out reading Colossians this week. Go back and reread some of the parts maybe that spoke to you over the last month. And uh, just let these things stir up on the inside of you. But I want to pray over you this morning. And so, Father God, I thank you so much for your word. Father, I thank you for your presence. Father, that we're not left to ourselves. We're not left to um, our own mental energy and focus to try to fix things and work things out. But, Father, I thank you that your grace is in us. The same grace that saved us is the same grace that works and develops and and, and is moving on the inside of each one of us today. Helping us to be uh, fully formed into the image of Christ. That, Father, that we would be able to impact the world around us. Not because we're perfect, but because we're yours. Because your hand is upon us and your grace is upon us. And so, Father, we thank you 
for all that you have done in us, Father. We thank you for this amazing salvation that we have. This relationship with you, Father, that we can come into union with you. This vital connection. Father, that you're not the God who's afar off in some faraway, distant place, but you're the one who's come very near to us. Father, that you're closer to us than our next breath. So, Father, I thank you that 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 power renews us and strengthens us for the days ahead, for what you have for us. So, Father, I just thank you for every person here and that's even online today. Father, I just pray your blessing and your grace. Your abundance, your peace to be upon them, Father, that the days that we live in are crazy. But Father, I thank you that you're still Lord over the crazy. That you're still in control, that you're still bringing about your plans, you're still bringing about your purpose, that nothing has changed. But Father, you're watching over your word to bring it about and to bring it to pass. And so Father, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. If you're here today and you've never...